Hello and welcome to all my fellow curious adventurers. I'm your host, Meredith Meeker, and this is another episode of the Emerging Leaders for Biodiversity podcast. I'm recording this from my home, which is in the Williams Treaty, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people. However, the studio was occupied, so if you hear a few more pops and crackles, my apologies. This episode, we bring you our second emerging leader, Graham Eby. He is a consulting aquatic ecologist and is the manager of aquatics and monitoring at Aquifer Beach. Graham attended the University of Waterloo and earned his bachelor degree in environment and business. He then pursued a postgrad certificate in ecosystem restoration at Niagara College, which is where I was lucky enough to first meet Graham. I'm very pleased to share his journey with you. I think we can all learn a lot from how he got his start in the industry and how he's found success. We're going to start off with a really tough question for you. I feel like you can tell a lot about a person by what they've got on their bookshelf. So what is your favorite book recommendation or a favorite book that you're reading right now? Oh, man, we got a we got a whole bunch of of books on our shelf. I'm going to recommend The Call of the Wild by Jack London. I've probably read that about 100, 100 times. But what I'm reading right now is 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act by Bob Joseph. It's it's definitely not an easy read, but it's not supposed to be. And I've learned more just from the introduction and the first few chapters just about what Canada and its peoples have been putting Indigenous peoples through since colonization. It's something that every every Canadian that's that's trying to make reconciliation with Indigenous peoples a reality, they should definitely read it. So. Yeah, I would recommend that for sure. It's it's an incredible knowledge base. Thank you. I actually hadn't heard of that book before. And, you know, reconciliation and how we treat our Indigenous people has already come up multiple times on this podcast because it is such an important issue. So mm-hmm. that's a great recommendation. I am going to put it on my book list because I know I need some more education on that subject. We all do, but this is this is a good one to turn to, for sure. So, Graham, I'm lucky enough to count you as one of my friends, but everybody listening might not be so lucky. So <laughs> can you tell us a bit about yourself and who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. My name is Graham Eby. I grew up in Cambridge, Ontario, right on the Grand River, right where the Speed River dumps into it. So been playing in the river my whole life. Now I live in Alora, also in the, the Grand River. So very lucky to to live where the where the fish are fish are good and plentiful. But yeah, I mean, I, I, there's not too much to my life. I like being outside, and I managed to to kind of put that into my my working life, where I'm a environmental consultant. I'm the aquatic ecologist or aquatic biologist for a water resource engineering firm, and so having their hands in all kinds of municipal and federal waters. I get to advise on a lot of those projects. So having grown up on water and having spent a lot of my recreational time on water, it, it kind of leads me to a really valuable career where I can 
take that knowledge and passion and, and kind of put it to good use. That's great. I myself am also a consulting ecologist, as you know, but I would love to hear your thoughts on why the work we do is so important. Sure. I, I think, I think consultants kind of get a bad rap for a lot of reasons. There are some, some ones that don't have their, their priorities straight, or maybe they do, they just don't have them in the right order. But some consultants, I would say most consultants uh, are really innovative and when they have a really diverse team with a really broad knowledge base, there's, there's so many resources that that team can pick from to put some really interesting and innovative solutions to everyday issues to fruition and like come up with some really, really interesting solutions or guidelines to, to what municipalities or private landowners, developers, all kinds of things that's going to happen regardless if consultants existed or didn't exist, they're just going to be able to lead them through some, some really innovative and necessary solutions to problems that's going to happen regardless. And I think when people like you and me who are passionate about the environment are valued in a consulting firm, then we can actually drive those innovations or solutions in the right direction to, to benefit the natural environment. So I think there's definitely a place for consultants in, in the world. And when they value ecologists like us, then we get to really push them in the right direction. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's great when you have passionate people at the table rather than, you know, across the table. If you're like an agency, mm -hmm. it brings a different perspective and it creates a different relationship where you might be able to, in some ways, be better positioned to push through those creative solutions. Definitely. So in terms of your day-to-day -day, rather than the overall picture, which we just talked about, is there a big difference between summer and winter for you? Or could you take us through what an average day, if there is an average day, what it looks like? Sure. Um, I would say that you can probably concur with this, but since since our start with the, with the business, it's kind of changed a little bit. Started out doing a lot of field work, both in the summer and in the winter. But I think as you kind of evolve in the consulting industry and in your your work career, you, you're still you're still doing a lot of, of field work based on on your knowledge and, and your professions. But I would say that it's it's a lot of field work in the summers, and then you into the fall, you're synthesizing your data, you're analyzing it, and, and pulling together some meaningful reports. And then winter is all just sitting at the the table and and trying to come up with conclusions and recommendations. So there's some, some field work and, and there's some long days in the summer, that's for sure. Yes, definitely a few long days. And I mean, even in the winter when you've got a report deadline, oh, definitely. those can be harder long days in many ways, at least, at least for me. Definitely. A lot, of, a lot of proposal writing right now too. So those are, those are very long days too, but necessary. So Graham, how long have you been doing this? I have been in the consulting industry for four years in December. And how did you get your career started or what has your journey looked like? It's been a bit of an interesting journey, that's for sure. I graduated from University of Waterloo in 
2014 with a Bachelor of Environment and Business. So a lot of sustainable development, but there was, there was some ecology-based courses in that. Graduated and luckily enough, got a job right out of school at Amazon as an operations manager. So totally different, but you know, bright eyes, bushy tail coming out of university thinking that I'm gonna make a massive impact on this, this corporation. I'm gonna make them green. That didn't happen. So found myself on my three-day weekends just spending all of my time outside and wanted to take that into my professional life. So I quit, which was tough, really hard decision to make. And then I met you at Niagara College doing what we love. And from there, I, I went up to Kenora to be an Orvis fly fishing guide. One of the best experiences of my life, but... Um, Definitely not a career choice. So came home and kind of fell into this job where our fish teacher at Niagara was going on maternity leave and offered me her maternity leave position. And I've been there ever since. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes little contracts or, you know, these little coincidences in hindsight have really shaped our careers. Definitely. Yeah. So you talked about how you worked at Amazon and how you also grew up on the Grand. Is this always what you wanted to do? No, it's kind of funny. I, I remember looking back at playing in the, in the the water. I used to be terrified of of seaweed and and algae and stuff. So it's <laughs> it's kind of funny now. I literally just I'm I'm living in in seaweed and algae. So it's kind of funny. This is definitely not what I always wanted to do. But now that I'm doing it, I can't see myself doing anything else. That's great. Did anyone give you a piece, like any advice, or do you have advice that you would want to give somebody just starting out in their career or trying to break into this field? Sure thing. I had a really good mentor with with Hawkford Beach at the beginning of my career, and and she always she always made it really clear that it's important that you know your worth when you start. I know I I can say this for certainty that when I first started, I didn't really know my worth, and when you're getting started. You kind of become a yes person, but don't let people take advantage of you or or get discouraged because it is discouraging at the beginning, but but keep that in the back of your mind that that you're qualified and passionate and and you're worth everything that those those people are gonna be uh, be paying you one day. So <laughs> yeah, I think that just the job application process can really have a hit on your sense of self-worth and and self-confidence so you feel so grateful when you finally land that job and it is great but you got to remember that you are worth it and you don't have to say yes to every little thing or sacrifice yourself for the job definitely that person that's that's hiring you may not have known that you are either out of the job market for a week or or a year or whatever they hired you because they want you Mm -hmm. that's that's the bottom line so yeah that's a good point and what is the best part of your job playing with fish for sure <laughs> i i really enjoy the the field work just being able to go outside for work and get paid for it and it takes you to some really cool places a lot of these big sub watershed studies are, are really interesting because you get to see how how Things change over a sub-watershed scale. You get to see a lot of really cool things, but also 
when you when you work with such a diverse, I think there's 50 people with with our consulting firm and some really really smart people, and you get to learn a lot from them, regardless if it's if it's ecology or geomorphology or modeling. Like there's some some really smart people out there. That's that's another really good thing that I've I've learned a lot from this. Hmm. Well, I think it's always nice. I have maybe this moment like once a year since I've started where you're just outside and you're in the middle of work and you're like, I'm getting paid for this. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that's one of the best feelings. Especially right now when the weather's perfect. Yes. This is great field work time. Oh yeah. So flip side of that, I think you knew this question was coming. If every job was only like the fun parts, can't believe I'm getting paid for this part. It'd be very easy to find your dream career. Mm-hmm. What's the crappy part of your job? What do you have to be able to handle to actually be successful? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think this goes for any any place that you work. I, I look back at, at Amazon and I kind of, I, c- I can kind of say the same thing. There were some really smart and really, really amazing people there. People are always going to make your your workplace better. Vice versa, there can be some people that can make it not so enjoyable. Being able to to work with a lot of different people in a lot of different mindsets helps, but there's all kinds of things that that go not just for my workplace, but for any workplace. Stress comes with any workplace. Consulting is is one thing that might have a little bit more stress based on deadlines and proposal writing and everything. I can also say that we both enjoy working outdoors and and being in nature. Sometimes you don't get to see the nice parts of, of nature and what development and previous works have, have done. So you kind of you kind of see both sides of it. You've got to really be able to, to make your, your emotions and think that you're out here for the right reasons that hopefully you can make a difference. Yeah, you got to be able to manage your people and your own emotions, right? Definitely, or your yeah. Emotions when it comes to people and the, and the work, it can be a very tricky balance. Definitely, yeah. Especially when you have long term monitoring or really huge projects, when you see things changing in front of you, and and you got to be able to stay within your lane, but also keep your your ethics and your morals at the at the front. So it's, it, it can be a bit of a, bit of a balance, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep coming back to this. One of my first guests, she talked about how she works in literally saving endangered species hands-on, which was very fascinating, but she talked about how she didn't feel like she was doing enough, but you need to remember that you're doing your piece. And if you do your piece really well, then you're allowing other people to work on theirs and it'll all come together and fit together. And hopefully we are making a cumulative difference. And I think that really applies to consulting because sometimes we don't feel like we're doing enough, but if we are pushing for the best solutions and, you know, playing within the rules as much as we can, I think we will see really positive changes in the development industry and infrastructure. Definitely. And, and keep in mind too, that there are a lot more consulting 
companies out there that are that are really advising and, and pushing some of these endangered species organizations and conservation authorities they they rely on consultants like us to to give them quality data so you and i and and a lot of other people that have have the good intentions are, are doing good things regardless so what do you think has been the most surprising thing about your job something you didn't expect before you started working Oh, um, that's a tough one. Honestly, like when I first came into it, I didn't even know what a stormwater management pond was. And <laughs> it's, it's just been, it's been an incredible learning experience. Just seeing all of the different pieces that go into what we take for granted, what to really make our lives safe and enjoyable. Yeah, it's an incredible machine it's really amazing to see how, how all of these things come together i think that's really surprising like just just all of the parts that that make our everyday life what it is there's just a lot of people behind them and, and a lot of a lot of parts that that keep it working i remember being very surprised coming out of our program because i thought we had just got such a good education <laughs> and i had never felt like i knew more and then starting working in consulting, I was like, I don't think I've ever felt like I've known less. Oh yeah, it, definitely. It, <laughs> yeah. So it, but it is fun. I think, you know, as ecologists, it's kind of a passion for lifelong learning. Definitely. Um, so we might be bored in a different field if there wasn't so many, you know, curveballs or things to learn. Oh yeah. And yeah, we're always learning on, on our feet think you know one thing and then you talk to someone else and they oh that's that's not true or you don't know anything about it and <laughs> you got to figure it out so yeah can be humbling sometimes for definitely, sure definitely definitely did you do anything in particular to make your application stand out when you applied for aquifer beach or do you think it was that network and that personal connection i th i think that the network and personal connection definitely made me stand out. So when I originally applied to it, it was for a terrestrial ecologist position. And I was definitely not qualified for that. Didn't hear anything for a couple months and then eventually got called because of that contact. So networking and reaching out to people that you may have a common interest with or or even people that you haven't talked to in a long time but but you're just looking to catch up I, I think networking goes a long way but as far as putting an application to together I can look back to my to my Amazon job and what I said earlier know your worth don't sell yourself short be confident and be honest definitely I think if you're able to communicate that in a cover letter you're going to stand out anyway, because Definitely. a lot of people don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, I'm really enjoying these podcasts and hearing these people's stories, but even they're like, wow, I've done a lot, like after <laughs> our conversations and they haven't thought about it. And I think it's either as a society or as an industry, we suffer from a little bit of tall poppy syndrome where we're, you know, afraid to stand out in case we get cut down yeah. but you know we should be encouraging everybody to grow to their full potential so definitely no
And if you are looking for network opportunities, Emerging Leaders for Biodiversity is a great place to network. So make sure you join our membership. There you go. Sign <laughs> up, get everyone. That, <laughs> get that plug in real quick. So enough about your career. Do you have a favorite nature moment? I like to call it nature because nature is so neat. Yep. Um, so just a moment you were out either on your own or for work that nature took your breath away. There are so many, so many occurrences that I can't even put them on two hands. The number of times where I've just been blown away. I consider myself very fortunate. Even some of the times that, that you and I have gone on hikes or been outside, there's like, you've shown me more about birds than I could ever imagine. And some of the times you see these beautiful migratory birds, like every time you see something new, you're just like, wow, this is, this is incredible. I'm, I'm here at this, this time for, for this one thing. Couldn't have come together any more perfectly. But I, I got to say, last year in July, I went up to Nunavut to visit a friend with another friend. And we took a full week on ATVs and just explored the tundra. We visited some rivers during the Arctic char migration out into the Arctic Ocean, did some fly fishing. And I, I would say that's probably one of my most awe-inspiring moments because you're so remote and it's so such a different kind of beautiful. And when you're you're fishing with your buddies, you you don't really you don't really think that at any moment you could look over and see a polar bear or a grizzly bear and like you are 40 hours away from any hospital that could possibly help you but you're not thinking about it because you're immersed in nature and it's the, the land of the midnight sun driving for 48 hours in, in noon sunlight it's just amazing and saw some some northern lights up in Kenora, which blew me away, and saw a family of wolves in Kenora, which blew me away, and it just it just humbles you when you see stuff like that. So, I think you know, for a lot of Southern Ontario people or people who are living in more urban areas, our concept of nature is really, you know, if we're lucky, cottage country or we have a really great park near us. Mm -hmm. But when you get up north, you know, past cottage country, it's a different kind of wilderness and it is a different kind of connection. And I've never been to none of it, but I would love to go visit the territories and just mm -hmm. see landscape at a different landscape scale. So that that is excellent. That, that being said though, too, you can, experience some pretty amazing nature or nature right here too like in Toronto even in some of those little urban forests there's nature surviving and, and getting by and adapting and and they're in there so you don't have to go too far to to see like a 12 point massive buck just within six feet of you so I mean my favorite nature one of my favorite nature moments is when I saw my first rose-breasted gross peak and that was in the Urban Rouge National Park. Yeah, and oh, that beautiful. Totally changed my journey and and got me hooked on birds. Mm -hmm. So you're right, you don't have to go far, but it is a different experience. Definitely. Oh yeah. Finally, if someone wanted to get involved with 
your organization or learn more about consulting ecology? Do you have any suggestions on where they should go or what they should check out? Well, my, my company is called Aquifer Beach Limited, A-Q-U-A-F-O-R, one word, beach as in the tree, limited. A lot of the reports that we put together for municipalities or the federal or provincial government are all public domain and are really influential and really innovative. So you can, you can look up any of those. Some of the agencies that we've worked for are City of Kitchener, uh, Region Waterloo, municipality of Clarington but I think I think that's probably a better way of understanding what what consulting agencies do is looking at some of their public domain work and really seeing what the finished product is I think some of the websites paint a bit of a rosy picture and the reports or, or final products are, are are really good really good benchmarks of of what quality work can look like you're more than welcome to, to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. Engage in, in the emerging leaders of uh, biodiversity too. They, like, people like you can, can definitely let, let those that are interested know what's, what's going on in the consulting world. A lot of networking events, I'm sure it's, it's a little different now. but Definitely a little different, but we just need to adapt with the times and you know, reach out to your human library. If you know somebody in the field, a conversation like this, I think having a coffee, virtual coffee, those are great, great ideas. Absolutely. Well, Graham, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely. No, thank you for, for asking me. I, I really appreciate it. This is a, a really good cause and a really valuable resource for, for everyone, including including myself. Like I, I learned a lot. I'm going to be watching these podcasts and I encourage people that are interested in the industry to do the same. I mean, I'm the host and I feel like I'm learning the most. So (laughs) a big thank you to Graham for sharing his time and experiences with us. I hope that you found this emerging leader perspective helpful and hopeful. With October behind us and winter ahead of us, the evenings are darker and the pull to hibernate and not do anything until spring is strong. But you are an emerging leader. You will fight the urge and take up this week's challenge. I want you to think about how often we replace things that are broken or scratched, maybe even superficially, before we even try to fix them. Sure, things might not be made to last like they used to be, but we have also lost the art of mending. It's a skill that I hope we can all rediscover over the winter. So break out that ripped pair of jeans in the back of your closet, or the piece of scratch furniture, and open up YouTube and find a handy-dandy repair channel. The planet and your wallet will thank you. Don't forget to follow us on social media and tag us in your weekly challenge for a chance to be featured in our newsletter and blog. And while you're at it, like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. That's all for now. Talk to you again next week.